Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. Please connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Longhorn Republic on Facebook, and you can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's refreshing the game tracker feverishly, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm at the high point of uh, of the post-Christmas holidays, Gerald. This is our last podcast, our last podcast of 2019. When we start this next year, it's going to be what, like three years, four years? I don't know. It's three years we've been doing this thing. Is that correct? So weird. Yeah, it'll be our third year, which is crazy to think about it. We're closing out a decade uh, strong. We're playing football after OU, which feels good to be able to say out loud between us. Uh, so That's right. That's we, right. We, uh, we're not going to talk about the Alamo Bowl. We did a pretty extensive preview, uh, two extensive previews, really. We did one uh, with our friends over at Block U uh, last, what, last Tuesday, uh, and then we did our kind of Texas, how they match up with Utah last Thursday. So you can check both of those out in the podcast feed. They are labeled Utah interview and and Alamo Bowl preview. You can check those out on the podcast feed. Today, we're going to talk breaking news. So the podcast gods have been kind to us the last couple of weeks. Texas making announcements on Sundays, uh, showing you a little bit of how the sausage made. Kyle and I record on Monday nights. So very, very helpful when news breaks Sunday <laughs> or really over the weekend and or yeah. Monday before about 7 central time. So we got news on Sunday about 515 central time that the man who had been basically rumored and anointed as the new offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich, we've been saying his name wrong, had been officially hired as the new offensive coordinator of the Texas Longhorns, the Ohio State Buckeyes, a team that he was the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach for, was eliminated in dramatic fashion against the Clemson Tigers, and so he's now on the market. And Tom Herman made the announcement official. He kind of tipped his hand a little bit in some pressers earlier where he used past tense in referring to guys that he interviewed and talking about how they're in the they're in the postseason now. So, anywho, Yursich is now the man at the helm. Somebody that Tom Herman, like we've talked about, will be handing off play calling reins to praise whoever you choose to praise. But here's what Tom Herman had to say about Mike Yursich. I talked with a number of coaches as we tried to find the best fit at offensive coordinator. Mike is a guy who really stood out. He went on to say he knows our conference well from his time at Oklahoma State and including the run he had with Ohio State this year has played a big part in some of the nation's best offenses for the past several years. All that said, what impresses me the most about him is how he works with and develops players and the creative way he utilizes all the weapons on offense. Chef's kiss. Focusing on development. Uh, Yersich said uh, in the same release, when looking at offensive coordinator positions, Texas is a no-brainer career move. Beautiful. 
I'm excited to represent UT football as its next offensive coordinator. So, Kyle, they're saying all the right things. Yurcich has a bit of a rep uh, in, in a, a lot of good ways for being an offensive mind and somebody that's really able to uh, press and, and tweak and kind of find new things and new wrinkles. So what are you looking for? What are you hoping for as Texas kind of gets in its new offensive coordinator? You know, I, I think you, you start right at the top and you say this is a good hire because he fits. He comes and he fits in a scheme that's not going to be too crazy from what we have personnel-wise and what Herman likes to do, which makes it uh, make sense that he might defer to him. Um, but also he does some things differently and he does some things very, very well. So you can look at the track record um, really before a single year at, at Ohio State, which, again, if you want to focus on that, that's fantastic. I think they were the number three or number five offense this year. Um, he really coached the passing game and, uh, you know, coached Justin Fields uh, to a, a Heisman ceremony. So don't discredit that. But if you really want to look at his body of work and especially what might translate directly um, in the in the Big 12, you go and look at OSU. And, and Gerald, I know you've really dove deep and done a lot of the, the analysis and the stats. So I'll, I'll let you get into that a bit. But I'll just say he has a really impeccable track record with talent that, you know, you could say is, is depending how sharp you want to be in your uh, assessment of the university of Texas uh, and recruiting the past couple of years and, and the development those players have done while being on campus, we'll say at worst is, is, you know, equal to what he will inherit at UT. If not with, you know, what I think conventional wisdom would tell you is players who by, you know, rating systems as, as flawed as they are, are not as good as Texas players. You look at what he's done at quarterback, taking guys, you know, to NFL careers because they they arrived as one player and left as another four years later under his tutelage, putting up wildly impressive numbers all along the way. You look at running backs. I mean, he's he's turned uh, a couple guys again into players that were NFL ready because they were developed. They they you know were also you know not destroyed and run into the crown. Um, but I think. That, that development, like you talked about in his quote and in Herman's quote, I think that is a huge, huge key. Um, you know, the, the the number one offense during his time at Oklahoma State being as balanced as it was with, you know, a lot of really incredible pieces, explosive plays, but they, they didn't, I mean, if you, if you, that was the around the time under your, because around the time that um, your sitch, excuse me, I have been saying that incorrectly, is around the time that the narrative flipped on Oklahoma State. I think there was an easy way to say, okay, Leach left. They kind of inherited the mantle as the air raid team of the Big 12. And, and I think kind of as he came in, he said, wait a minute, they're, they're running the ball really, really well. They're actually very dedicated to it. And then kind of in the last year or two, he said, wait, the pendulum may have swung. Now they're you know, running the ball the most. So they're an interesting offense. They're an interesting team. Um, and again, you look at the guy, obviously Gundy, but you look at the guy who's, who was responsible for four years for that offense, that's your man. Absolutely. And, and if you're looking for a guy who knows how to evaluate an offensive coordinator, Mike Gundy has uh, – has has a good coaching tree, you'll say. And oh, yeah. the reason why he hired Yursich was because, and Mike Gundy said this when he hired him, I was tired of my guys getting stolen after two years, so I figured no one would take my D2 coach after two years. And so um, you, when you look at the the stats from Yursich, uh, you – so college stats are weird because they include sacks in your your rushing number. So these these numbers are a little skewed. They're probably about two or three percent higher. But if you look at just runs versus passes, literally every year but one he was with Oklahoma State, he was at fifty percent or at or above fifty percent uh, run versus pass. The adjusted passing rate. Uh, he 
in somewhere between 46 and 47 percent uh, in most years, which is still really, really good when you also have quarterbacks like Mason Rudolph, who are three of the top five or three of the top 10 highest passing totals in school history. So like when you talk, everybody talks about balance on offense and establish the run to set up the pass. And Texas had about a 50, 50 play call split this year, but the, the efficacy of those run plays is really more where, because balance is not about just the plays you call, but if they don't have to respect the run plays that you call, then it's not really balanced. They can still play the pass. And I think that's where, where your sitch is, balance comes into play because it's not just that he called 50%, but he averaged four and a quarter over six years, which is a huge, huge number. And he also, the, the thing that's really impressive to me is his first down rushing numbers. And that's really, I think where Texas struggled a lot, where you saw Texas go to you know, a bubble screen and it's incomplete. So it's second and 10 or it's tackled for a loss or it's tackled for a short game. And so over his six years on first downs, Yersich averaged 4.2 a carry, including his last year, uh, which his last year you got to take with a little bit of grain of salt because you have Justice Hill and Chuba Hubbard there. So that's like your, your going to be your obvious highest statistical point. But his last year, they averaged 5.3 yards per carry on first down. So when they call the rush on first down, 5.3, that's a massive number. Yeah, that, that makes all the rest of the things you do on offense uh, get a little bit easier. Um, so, so an interesting thing to think about him, I, again, I, I said this earlier, is that he coached the passing game for Ohio State this year. So I'm going to go back, and I think we'll probably do that a little bit, keep going back. But if he does what he you know has picked up, or what he's shown to do at, at um, Oklahoma State, he's going to bring his own run scheme, right? And that's something Texas does today with with the current offensive coordinator in the back in hand um but not not perfectly well um he's gonna do kind of inside and wide zone um the thing i like about his running game all that time at oklahoma state is there was a good job of um keeping the defense off balance with with different looks um they they uh they're physical and they they double team they bring the tight end into it he uses fullback so there is a chance you could see uh, Texas with some some different sets than what we've seen with their personnel packages where um, they kind of like almost think more of that OU where they have an H-back or a fullback in there to give kind of an, an additional um, point of contact and lead block. Um, they will pull, um, whether it's the counter or sweep. The, uh, they, they also, you know, this year with Ohio State run a little bit different offense, so maybe he brings some of that. And uh, it could be a really interesting mix. Again, then you take that with Herb Hand who – was brought here, A, as a great recruiter, B, a great developer, and C, as a guy who understands the spread power running game as well as anyone in the country, and maybe they cook something up, right? Then you take Tom Herman, um, who, who really understands the idea of a balanced spread offense. So there's a really interesting melding of minds where people have their thing, and each of their things should meld, but they also should maybe challenge uh, the other of those three guys that will kind of make up the offensive uh, run game brain trust. Um, it, it could be very, very interesting, but I think you're absolutely right, Gerald, when you say the expectation should be that Texas is going to run the ball. They're going to stick to running the ball. I mean, I think one thing Beck and Herman both said this year was, hey, um, if you look at the numbers, we didn't run the ball particularly poorly. We just didn't do it enough. We abandoned it too early. We didn't create that identity from it, especially when their line really thrived um, with more run, pure run blockers than than pass blockers on it. You know that that's tough to to force them to do something otherwise. So 
Again, how is it going to come out? I think you're going to see uh, some mix, and that will all fall you know, in the, in the coming months of who's going to be in the running back, who's going to be getting the ball where, how they use you know, guys who aren't traditional running backs like your Jordan Whittingtons and people like that. Um, there's going to be a lot of interesting things. The offense is going to give us, selfishly, Gerald, you and I, plenty to talk about over the coming months, um, and especially as we get close to next season. Um, but it's just going to be its going to be very interesting to watch just the melding of some really, really intelligent people who are highly respected around the country in Herman Hand, um, and now the newest member, Mr. Uh, Mister Yersich. Yeah, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a minute about kind of what the staff will look like and what who he'll retain and, and who's already gone. But I think you, you mentioned I, one guy that I, I would – I would be shocked if he's not in Austin next year because, well, basically everybody in the country wants to hire him as Herb Hand. Like mm. that guy, I would. Most coaches would let their offensive line coaches go if Herb Hand had an opportunity to come play or come coach for them. And so, so you, you talked a lot about the the kind of the zone schemes that and. That's, I think, what made the Oklahoma State running game so successful and so special was the fact that the like it was just a numbers game. And at some point, when you put a running back one-on-one in the open field, Justice Hill wins that nine and three-quarters times out of ten. The, the talent at Oklahoma State was stellar. There's no two ways to argue about that. But for the last three years, Texas has brought in the number one running back in the Big 12. They brought in the number one running back in the Big 12. Keontae Ingram, top-ranked running back in the Big 12, one of the top five running backs, I believe, in the country. Uh, Darian Brown, a year ago, was a top 15 running back in the country, top recruited running back in the Big 12. Then, obviously, B. John Robinson this year, the number two running back in the country behind Zach Evans, who Texas, praise the Lord, decided to cut bait on early from all the indications that we've seen. So, the talent is there, and if Herb Hand and now Mike Yursich can get together and create those numbers advantages, I'm going to take Keontae Ingram in the open field on basically any safety walking the face of the planet right now one-on-one. I'm just going to do it. And, and I, I'm going to conflate a little bit here because we're talking running backs, but, I mean, think back to those Oklahoma State quarterbacks. Who was the biggest running threat? Again, to say, okay, you're going to give a one-on-one. Well, imagine a, a, it's something of a zone read where you have to look at a quarterback running option. Who's your best running threat between Taylor Cornelius and his knee braces? Though, they're obviously trigger warning that that did come back to bite Texas once. Um, Mason Rudolph. I mean, he never had a quarterback that could do what Sam Ellinger can do and the threat that he can pose. So, again... He did it with very different quarterbacks and very different running backs, and he I, I've seen a couple quotes um, from his coaches, both from Gundy and from his uh, his head coach at Shippensburg State, uh, which is a thing where he came from in, in Pennsylvania, to say that he's really, really good at making his system maximize the potential of the personnel that he has. And, and just sidebar, I've always said that's why Greg Popovich is the greatest basketball coach in the history of the game is he doesn't have a system like a Phil Jackson. He has a group of players that he understands innately and builds a system around them. Um, that's another conversation. But, that, you know, if, if, if he can do that, if he can take, wow, okay, I can make this running game with this blocking scheme and I can set these running backs up. Oh, but by the way, I also have a way that I can get Sam Ellinger in and give a different look that you never really had to worry about with, with my Oklahoma State quarterback. So I I just, again, maybe you can hear it in my voice. I am allowing myself to be excited by this. And, and maybe that makes me a sunshine pumping UT media, burn orange conspiracy person. But I hope you can take some time and not be purely cynical and say, you know what? I am excited. This could be very good. 
Let's see. And I think you mentioned the guys he had at Oklahoma State, but look at what he did at Ohio State with Justin Fields as the quarterback right. coach and passing game coordinator. Now, the the biggest game everybody watched of Justin Fields, he threw what I'm going to call one and a half interceptions because that last one, if Chris Olave runs the right route, doesn't break it off and make the wrong read, that's six points and a W. Like, he has the inside position on that safety 10 times out of 10. So, like, that would be a win for him. And so I'm going to call it one and a half interceptions. But he had a bit of an interception problem, or at least a, uh, a, a conversation around him being an interception risk for Ohio State. That's kind of what came with him. And he threw three this year. Through one in the regular season, uh, that includes, again, the, the the Big Ten championship game. And then through, again, one and a half, I'll call it, in the uh, in the the college football playoff game against Clemson, which who Clemson has one of, if not the best defenses in the country. So uh, they're going to make you make mistakes. Brenton Venables is one of the best defensive minds going. So like the, his ability to coach quarterbacks one-on-one. And then you look at like, who's in the hopper for him. Like you get a year of Sam Ellinger and then you've kind of got like this, treasure trove of dual threat quarterbacks more akin to what you see from Justin Fields where you have Casey Thompson where you have Roshan Johnson where you have Hudson Card where you have potentially Jaquin and Jackson who's rehabbing from a knee so like that that quarterback room like the cupboard is really really stocked for a guy who every what everybody says about him is he knows how to maximize talent and squeeze the most out of every guy and when you Look at the level of talent difference that Texas brings in versus Oklahoma State. He got 10 win seasons out of Oklahoma State level talent. And that's great. And if you get, again, a lot of those guys didn't have a huge NFL future in and of itself. So if you look at squeezing every drop of talent out of a guy that already out of high school is projected as a potential NFL player, like the, the, the ceiling is really, really high. Now, again, you've got to prove it on the field. You've got to go out there and you've got to be able to beat OU. You've got to go out there and be able to beat now Baylor. You've got to go and compete on a national level against for the next, what, five years, teams like LSU and Florida and Alabama. It's like, there's a lot of talent that you're going to face, but your such is a guy that can, again, maximize what's on the field. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you there, Gerald, but I do have to say he's not going to do it completely by himself. So Herman mentioning in his presser today that there will be that 5-5 split um, tells me that, you know, you have an OC coach who's really specialized in quarterbacks. I think that means, you know, you probably have a dual position there. You're, you're probably going to see your traditional running back, wide receiver, offensive line, those three on any staff. Um, we had an inside and outside receiver. I do, I do think that's where you'll see the numbers decrease, and obviously we'll probably still have a tight end coach. So that said, Gerald. What does the offensive staff look like next year for you, um, knowing that, you know, on that offensive side, Tim Beck's included, you have some some guys who are with the team right now, um, and then you have some hot names that have been been floated out there. Yeah, so I all of the internet tea leaves are saying that uh, Beck is basically around through National Signing Day, uh, and then he's probably gone. And you, you hire an, a, a OC quarterback coach with a quarterback coach on the staff that's kind of... right. You could read the writing on the wall there. I am a pretty and them people may disagree with this, but I'm pretty f- I, I'm pretty convinced internally that Stan Drayton and Herb Hand will probably both be retained. I think Stan Drayton, everybody gives him a bad rep for well, he's not landing the big fish. He's not landing the big fish. He's not and I think Noah Kane was kind of a weird situation. I think mm. Trey Sanders told everybody he was going to Texas until he wasn't going to Texas. Uh, and so I don't think I don't really you got to land those guys, but I don't necessarily think um, 
either of those are his fault. But again, mm. for the last three years, he, along with, unfortunately, Tim Beck, have been the, the primaries on the three top running backs signed in the Big 12. And so landing a Keontae Ingram, that was a that was a tightly contested race with, with A&M, in-state rival. Landing Darian Brown, going into Georgia, going into SEC country, and landing one of the top running backs in Georgia, bringing him out of state. And then going to, to Arizona and landing one of the top running backs in the country after you kind of have to change directions on an in-state guy. That's a guy that I want to keep around. I agree completely with that. And you think also you don't get counted into your numbers. A, a Whittington right there who was a, a consensus five-star recruit, but mainly at athletes slash kind of receiver. Um, he obviously had the potential to play running back, which the coaches saw immediately with need, um, but also with ability. So, I mean, even though he doesn't get credit for that, you, you brought in a five-star who can play running back last year uh, as well, even though injuries kept him from doing so uh, during the season. But I, I agree. I, to me, I think those two guys are safe on the offensive side. I think the receiver spot, I don't know that Andre Coleman um, probably gets to keep the interim um, wide receiver coach. I do think that they are going to use that as an opportunity to bring in someone who can, A, coach up, a unit that's it's been really kind of one of the craziest it's always we said it's our strength for a team but it's been one of the craziest like um just roller coaster rides in the past 12 months uh on this team right with uh, obviously you have a receiver who gets into some trouble and and doesn't play at all this year uh with some legal issues you get um some recruits who we kind of like thought maybe we would get and we didn't you have a coach who there's internal rumblings about coach Maringer's no longer with us um you have uh obviously Duvernay taking the step up that he did that was incredible Colin Johnson with the injuries um you have a, a pouncy you know leaving um you just had more craziness in that position than probably any on the roster so you're bringing a guy in who can continue to recruit well but also just kind of settle that down and really maximize the most out of the talent which is a very very loaded position group yeah, and I think the, the one knock on Yurcich is that he's not known as kind of your bang-up recruiter, and so I think that's the other reason why you keep around Herb Hand and Stan Drayton, because Herb Hand is the offensive line whisperer when it comes to recruiting, and, and Drayton, again, take all the shots that you want. Bijan and Keontae are both on campus, so like I can't you, – the legs to stand on are, well, he didn't land the biggest running back in the country. Yeah, well, neither did 130 other schools, so that's fine. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned the the in, the interim wide receivers coach, Andre Coleman. He was an offensive analyst for most of this year, um, and, I, and I think Coleman – I don't know a ton about his history, but I think – there's a there's a name floating around the 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 interwebs Emmett Jones who is a highly highly regarded uh, wide receivers coach he was with um, he was with Kansas for three seasons I believe and then he was with or he's with um, he's with Kansas for two seasons at Texas Tech excuse me for three before that uh, and and he was a highly regarded kind of his high school coach. In uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, he spent uh, eight years as the offensive coordinator at Skyline, and then three as the uh, as the South Oak Cliff head coach before taking his talents uh, to the NCAA level. And so, I think if that's a guy that you bring in, that he's been described as uh, what Rashad Samples will be in in fifteen years, basically, who's a, a bang up recruiter who knows the Dallas area like the back of his hand. And that's something that I think Texas has a vulnerability on this staff right now is that DFW Metroplex. And so keeping somebody in there that can crack that shell and who's known as a pretty solid recruiter, tight ends coach. Uh, technically, Wareheim is still employed by the University of Texas, uh, but there may have been a Freudian slip in Herman's presser. That's OK. Uh, but I don't I don't necessarily think that Wareheim is long for this world. 
there's there's a lot of moving pieces, and I really I, I think we know who three of the five are going to be on the offensive side of the ball. Right, and I think we know that there will be a receivers coach probably coming in. I, I heard the the name Ty, uh, Tyron Carrier as well, who was at West Virginia and now is at U of H this past year. Um, but I do like your your um, your thought, especially I've been hearing the same rumors, but especially that again that getting that Dallas pipeline really really secured. I know Tom obviously uh, historically is a really good Houston connection. So, um, but the tight end coach is interesting, right? There is the, there is a, a a world in which you could imagine if Tim Beck just likes making money and doesn't really need the challenge of offensive coordinator he could slide in and be a, a heck of a recruiter and coach the tight ends up um but you know i, I truly don't know i i, I kind of get the feeling that he he has aspirations to to prove what you know what he really can do at his best so i don't know that he'll be there but uh but yeah that that's an interesting one and i, I truly don't even want to speculate because i don't know who that could be we do have a coach on on staff now we'll see um but what about the other side of the ball gerald we we obviously have spent this entire podcast talking about the offense. We hired a new defensive coordinator this year. We, we've not spoken of Mr. Ash here in almost a week. Um, so, you know, we know who our defensive coordinator is, and his specialty um, is kind of uh, coaching safeties, right? So um, if, if you kind of think of it that way, you, whereas Orlando was a linebacker guru, um, you now have probably, instead of a safeties coach, you have a linebacker dedicated coach, and Ash coaches up the safeties. You'll have a cornerback linebacker. Um, and what Herman kind of indicated in his presser was that with the addition of the the fifth coach on defense is that we may get both an interior and and end uh, defensive line coach. So that is very very interesting, Major. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So you said Ash will coach the uh, the safeties. I think they keep Washington around because again Washington is another bang up recruiter. I don't I don't likely see that change. Uh, that means with Orlando being out, linebackers is open. I think Oscar Giles will survive any coaching change. I hope so. He is whatever. Like he's he's the Twinkie of the coaching staff. Like he would survive a nuclear bomb. Like he would just <laughs> if a bomb fell, the one man still standing is Oscar Giles. He's he's a four year letterman at Texas. He builds really good relationships with students. He's an incredible defensive end coach. Look at he what he did with guys like Charles Omenahu. He's got a lot of guys in the league, which is nice. And so I think uh, you know Ash Washington likely and Giles. I would I would bet like a mortgage payment on Giles. I probably wouldn't like don't take me up on that because I need to keep a roof <laughs> over my kid's head. But I would be I'd be shocked again if Giles was gone. So that leaves linebackers available. Uh, defensive tackles would then probably be who is because Giles traditionally has been a defensive ends coach. And the guy I want to see though either either of the guys and, and I don't know if if either of these are likely, but there are guys either on either direction in Interstate 35 that I'd love to see at least Texas put a feeler out for and that's one uh, Frank Ocam. Oh yeah, in uh, in Waco, he's doing some really really impressive things with the defensive tackles in Waco, and then a guy who was just retained by UTSA. But when your alma mater calls, you gotta at least pick up the phone. Uh, Rod Wright, one of my all time mm. favorite players, is the the defensive tackle coach down at UTSA. So that would be an interesting call to see. I think either of those guys, I would love to see back in burn orange. Man, that's a that's a good one. I I know you love Rod Wright and you you love the big fellas. Um, was Rod Wright a a? I know he's a multiple year letterman. Was he a four year letterman, three year letterman? I, I I think he's a three year letterman. Um, the same as Okam. So unfortunately, there's no four year letterman sitting out. 
there where we can be the only coaching staff with eight years of of playing experience at that school. Like I guarantee, no other school in the country can offer eight uh, across two coaches, but uh, seven is still pretty good if we were to get either of those guys. Just because of my uh, my particular love for for uh, Franklin uh, Nanyalu Okam Jr. Um, the, the big fella, I am, I am very excited. He also just has kind of like a very Texas pedigree in his coaching, right? He started as a grad assistant at Rice after his NFL playing career, was the D-line coach at Rice under coach, uh, Bailiff, who's uh, again, a man I respect greatly, then made the, uh, the jump over to Baylor and just did fantastic this year. It would make a, a logical next step up the ladder. So that's that's my that's my aspiration. But again, we're not we're not in the business of breaking news and, and citing our sources here. Uh, but uh, that that would just be a, a feel good story uh, at the very least if you could have a Giles Ocam defensive line front. Can you can you imagine either of them telling stories about Vince Young after the national championship game? <laughs> like just standing standing in a recruits living room or sitting at sitting at the, the coffee table, the dinner table with a slice of pie, a cup of coffee, talking to the <laughs> talking to mom or Rod Wright telling the story of well and then Brian Robinson just absolutely annihilated Rhett Bomar and the ball just rolled, bounced into my arms and I was off to the races and the cotton bowl went crazy. Right? Like that's, that's, that's a, that is a dynamite, like either one of those guys. And again, there's, I have zero sources. I have nothing other than like, it would make a lot of sense for Texas to at least rattle some trees with those guys. Yeah. And one thing we talked about there when we talked about who to be retained is, is because Ash coaches the safety position, there's a great likelihood uh, that coach Nivar will, will not be retained in, in his position currently code or was co-defensive coordinator and is interim defensive coordinator um, as Orlando is no longer with the team. Um, and so I, I think the, the writing on the walls probably, Probably that you don't need two coaches who specialize in safeties, and and we have named a new full-on defensive coordinator. So I think the the likely stories that the coach Nivar will not be one of those names. I'm sure he'll be on to great success wherever he goes next. But again, that leaves two spots there to fill at the linebacker and on the defensive line. So I, I think it it will be exciting. Watch this space. I'm sure um, once bowl season kind of ends, you have that period between bowl season and signing day, and then from signing day, you know it's it's going to be a mad rush if if spots aren't filled by then because um, you're into spring um, and actually starting to put your team together for the year. Absolutely. So we'll have updates as these coaching positions uh, vacate and or fill. We'll keep you up to date with all of the latest on the Texas coaching shuffle. So before we leave 2019, we've got to do at least one more down the 40. Give some shine to the programs that are holding it down for us in the space where football is not. And so we've got to talk a little bit of football up front. Just some news. Uh, Texas linebackers David Benda and Byron Vaughns were both sent home from the Alamo Bowl game for a violation of team rules. The team obviously won't announce what that is, but both of those guys, Benda was likely not to play to preserve a red shirt. Byron Vaughns has appeared in every game this year, primarily on special teams. So that's that's frustrating for two young guys to not uh, get to have that bowl experience and not get there. It's there's, there's a lot being made of this for people that already don't like Tom Herman, I would say. Uh, but I, I, I have, I'm of another mind of that, but Kyle, like, that's frustrating is, is, is something we can both agree on. Oh, there's no doubt it's frustrating. I mean, every team in the country has a bowl trip and someone doesn't take it as seriously as they should. And, and remember their, um, it's it's a business, right? Your 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 scholarship is paid for you to be a student athlete, and and this is, you know, a very 
important part of the athlete portion of it. You're on a business trip, you know, and these guys need to conduct themselves um, like that. It's sometimes harder to do that at 18 than it is at 22. Sometimes, I mean, geez, Gerald, I, I'm sure I made a dumb decision on a business trip at the beginning part of my career. Or if I was 18 or 19, I didn't deserve to be on any kind of business trip, right? I didn't have the maturity to do that. And I think that probably we don't know the full extent of what the violating team rules was, but it, it, it clearly is some kind of immaturity. Um, it, the interesting thing was because Byron Vaughn's is um, himself a, a big part of the program, you know, in the future, but his, his mother has become the social media kind of uh, conscience and voice. Um, she had a fantastic uh, tweet that said, you know, you hope you raise your kids right so that when these types of things, um, you know, happen that you can help them move on. And, and it's not the end of the world, but that they need to be better, basically. I'm summing up her, her which I think is a good sentiment. She also then, in the comments of that tweet, said, but that don't mean I'm not going to whoop his uh, whoop his behind. So I think that's uh, that's the exact kind of uh, meter of tough love that needs right now is you're better than this. No, you're better than this. Go and prove it the next three years uh, that you're better than this and don't make these dumb mistakes. Again, I think anyone blowing this out of proportion probably is a person who has a, a Google alert on for these types of things just so they can raise a little ruckus. I think this is a, a relative this is almost as much of a non-story as as you know um double birding the the longhorn network uh cameras i'll just tell you like the the things that you and i would have done in a hotel room right. at uh at 19 would be to, and and here's the thing like we again we don't know what violation of team rules even means and for a coaching staff like Tom Herman that's really trying to keep keep everything within the boundaries as as things are start or look like they could be spinning off the wheel or spinning off the the the, the wheels can be spinning off the car whatever metaphor I'm trying to use there it doesn't really matter <laughs> but like things are spinning out of control or at least appear that and then you got two guys that miss a bed check right one guy that's definitely not going to play and one guy that's like he's a special teams gunner like send him home like that that sends a message to to the entire team. Oh, we better straighten up. They sent David and Byron home. They were in they were they missed their bed check, right? Like that's in my like estimation of probably what this is is probably something dumb like that. I I'm just saying it was it was something super dumb. 19-year-old kids do dumb stuff. And that's that's what happened there. So, moving on to 19-year-olds doing really impressive stuff. Um women's basketball coming off of a massive win got a number next to their name number 25 in the country and then they just decided to do what you do against not good teams and put the boots to northwestern state 91 to 49 the only thing that they didn't do in this game gerald is hit one more three-pointer to make it the one of the more impressive palindromes you'll ever see the the 94 to 49 but uh Man, forty-two points is is a is a pretty thorough shellacking for any team at any level anywhere in the country. So this was this was nice, man. And 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 it, it the thing I liked about this is getting ninety-one points. You get a lot of you got to get a lot of points from somewhere. And and the thing that they did in this game was um, it it seemed like a lot of players on the team were able to contribute. Obviously, Charlie Collier, who's kind of establishing herself herself as a a double double machine, put another one up, sixteen and twelve. Um, but you had three players off the bench in double figures. That's that's. That's something I really like to see. Uh, Joanne Allen Taylor with 15, Isabel Palmer with 12 to go with nine rebounds, and LaShawn Higgs with 12. I mean, that's that's what you're looking for in these types of games. Is you're going to get into the Big 12 conference play, um, you know, starting in the new year, and how you know 
how susceptible are you to someone, one of your starters is having a bad night? Someone goes down for a couple weeks. How susceptible are you to one little thing going wrong? We saw it last season with Texas. Sometimes you get multiple of those things, um, but it's good to be prepared in these games and, and, and spread the love. Absolutely. So Texas uh, women's basketball heading into Big 12 play on a four-game winning streak. They take on TCU to open up conference play. At the time of recording, again, showing you a little bit of how the sausage made. There's 2-24 left in the men's basketball game, but this one is well in hand. Texas is beating High Point as again 219 left. The game tracker just updated 86 to 54. Uh probably not going to erase a 32 point deficit in the next 2 minutes. So Texas started slow early in that game but went into halftime up. I believe it was 12 points and now they are just well in control 45 to 25 outscoring them in the second half. Texas four of its five starters will finish at least in double digits. Kamaka Hepa is knocking on the door there with seven. So they could potentially have all five of their starters finish the game with double figures. Yeah, and we can dive in in case something crazy happens in our in our Thursday show, but I doubt it. But it is just a reminder, a bit of a palate cleanser. This is what we called for on this podcast in our recap of the Providence game. Is is There's nothing that you can prove against a you know, just different level out of their league competition in high point, um, except letting this be too close of a game. Um, so, you know, getting it at the end and just making sure the net, the foot is on the throat helps make the Providence game, you know, a little bit more palatable as they headed to Big 12 play against a very, very good Baylor team uh, at the other side of the new year. Yeah, so that will be uh, that'll be interesting to see. So now brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, what I'm going to do here is just I'm going to give a quick fact um, and, and then I will get into my bang the drum because my bang the drum I want to touch so quickly and then move so quickly off of it um, due to its nature. But a quick fact uh, that I'm throwing in here as a little amuse-bouche, is that um, do you know the alma mater that we spent the podcast talking about, uh, Mr. Mike Yersich, uh graduated from, Gerald? High Point? <laughs> <I got> nothing. <laughs> and, and, no, but uh, th- there is a, a famous uh, coach of High Point, uh, Tubby Smith, graduated from there and is back at his alma mater, the basketball team. So you're, you're on track. Um, but no, he actually graduated um, from California University of Pennsylvania. Um, which is not a thing. My family originally from Pennsylvania that I knew existed, but it is a part of the the Pennsylvania state system of higher education. Um, but it exists. Um, and so I'm just wondering if if Coach Herman saw, hey, he's got Ohio State on the resume. Oh, a guy's from California. Made the quick hire there, but no, no. no. If anyone tells you otherwise, it's California. Basically, the Berkeley of. I don't know, mid Midwest uh, Pennsylvania. Anyway, so that's just the, the the little little treat on top, Gerald. The bang the drum today um, that I want to spend very short amount of time talking about is is Mr. Samuel Ellinger submitted his paperwork to the NFL advisory board. I first saw it reported by um, the Athletic. Uh, Kalen Jones with the Athletic, um, and 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 he gave all context of all the quotes, but I, I saw a few other people seem to run with one or two quotes that made it sound like Ellinger was really leaning towards hitting, blowing this popsicle joint. Um, I, 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 reading the full quotes, I did not get that. Um, I, I really think uh, if anyone is is especially worried about that, that that Sam's basically said, "Hey, I, I'm focused on a bowl game. I haven't sat down and talked about anyone." 
these coaches here have been great. Um, I do have a desire to play at the next level. To, to, to zoom one level up, every single player should take this advantage. We had players do it last year, Colin Johnson. I, I encourage every player, right? Like you have your family in your ear, and, and if you have good family, they're telling you, yeah, you're a first-round pick. Of course, they, they, they want the best for you. Um, you might even have childhood friends in some scenarios that say, yeah, I'll, I'll help you get there. I'll be there. I got your whole back, you know, that are looking for uh, a way to the next level. But the, the only way that these, these guys actually get the – uh, true feedback of themselves, especially now that there's no NCAA to give them actual ratings, uh, is that uh, they, they put this out there, dip their toe in the water, see where they're at, whether they have full intentions of coming back next year or, or not. Um, I, I think it's smart. I think every player should do it. I think every junior who has aspirations to go to the NFL on the UT roster should go ahead and do that if they so feel. Um, but again, my gut tells me there's a 99.9999 to infinity uh, chance that Sam Ellinger suits up next year for the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, and, and I don't want to call out specific people who are like, well, if Ellinger goes pro, that shows you a lot about what's going on in Austin. It's just one of the guys that also didn't vote for Vince Young for the Heisman, even though he works in Austin. Figure that out on your own. Uh, so, like, it, it seems like much ado about nothing because, like you said, there's no reason for you not to do this. Even if you know that you're going to get a return to school, you could possibly get some feedback that helps you evaluate yourself for what you need to work on in your last year on campus. Like you're dumb if you don't do this. And so whatever make this is, this is what we call the pre the pre there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to talk about. And I'll just add one quick piece and I'll take the, the occasional shameless plug, my day job. I do work for Slalom Consulting, hashtag love your future. Um, and one of the things that's encouraged is, is you know, there should be 360 feedback all the time. But um, if you're not getting feedback, you are encouraged to go and seek it out. Like if you could do your annual, you can make it quarterly. You could make it a weekly if you so choose. But go talk to the people who have it and seek it out. Actively seek it out so that you can improve, right? And I think that's um, a great uh, thing to apply to here, right? Sam, seek out that feedback. You get it, and then come back next year and fix everything and and win a Heisman if that's if uh, if that's what it took. You know, feedback leads to growth. Hundred percent. Again, I work in organizational development. That's <laughs> one of the things that I do is make sure people are giving each other good actionable feedback and that's what hopefully sam will get so i'm banging the drum this week on more weirdness on the internet so uh the high schoolers are checking into the all-american games today uh one keely ringo was checking in and was wearing a texas zip up thing and a texas backpack and everybody on the internet went crazy oh is that is keely tipping his hand oh is keely letting you in on it stop like this this is like it's it's really ridiculous how much we and you and I have been guilty of it as well try to read the tea leaves on the weirdest stuff to try to figure out what's going to happen with these players and he tweeted later no I just wear stuff that I like and that's fine like we've got to stop being so weird and that's again the problem with that we're we're winding down toward that there's nothing to talk about from the middle of january through spring practice there's very little to talk about and we're 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 getting desperate already so let's pump the brakes a little bit got a couple of weeks till signing day keely probably won't end up at texas and that's okay and if he does great you guys really need to be figuring out what alfred collins is going to do that's the guy you need to be looking at <laughs> that's a great point i'm so curious what, what coach royal would think if you were to 
sit him down and tell him about these diehard royalists, these uh, these folks who, who worship at the temple of, of Coach Royal and all that he stood for, being the same people who troll through 16 to 18-year-olds' lives, looking at who they're following on social media, what they're posting, um, you know, which hashtags they're using, where, you know, they're eating dinner at. Like, guys, they're kids. We, we talked not long ago about don't hold 18 19 year olds to not being stupid you know just ask them to be better and, and encourage and, and and understand that they will the same way don't don't really don't spend a lot of your life and your energy and your time trying to micro micro analyze what 16 year olds are doing because you're not even on the right medium it's all on tiktok y'all come on um we're too old to actually know and understand what they're putting out there kyle i will have you know that Bijan Robinson went to Longhorn Steakhouse for his 13th birthday, and I knew it then that he was going to University of Texas. That is completely made up, and there's no, <laughs> there's no, I don't even know if there's a long, like, I don't know where Longhorn Steakhouses are located in the country. Kyle's doing the research right now to see if there's one even in the state of Arizona. But, like, it's just, like, it's ridiculous that, that this is a thing, and it's fine because you and I, have talked about it quite a bit. We do all the same stuff, but like, I don't want it to be a thing that I have to do. Oh, Gerald, there are so many locations. You have just cracked the code. This is also Keely Ringo, obviously, coming. Chandler, Arizona, Mesa, Arizona, Surprise, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, another Phoenix, Arizona, multiple Phoenix, Arizona, couple of Tucson. Basically, this is our, this is, well, don't let the NCAA get wind of this. We might just delete this off the podcast. That's clearly our, our recruiting advantage is putting Longhorn Steakhouses and, uh, and, and seeping into these, these young, impressionable Kruitz's minds. Kyle, if you're looking too deep into what who follows who on Twitter, Fuddruckers followed us on Twitter. Still ain't seen no free burger coupons. That's all we've got for you this week. Where, Jade Helm. Where could the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goated. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. As always, you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. We'll see y'all in 2020.